what you're doing is a fantastic business for you to scale in a way that you work less or work the same, but dramatically scale the reach of the business. Hey everyone, I'm Mark Randolph and welcome to That Will Never Work. On this podcast, I speak with folks who are at every stage of building their own business, whether they're leaping from side hustle to self-employed or are already generating revenue and ready to level up. My goal is to draw out their biggest challenges and then, using a combination of advice, encouragement, and tough love, nudge them just a little closer to realizing their dreams. While I'm known for co-founding Netflix and serving as its first CEO, my career as an entrepreneur spans four decades. Netflix was actually my fifth startup, and since leaving there, I've had the opportunity to work with scores of early-stage companies and mentor aspiring entrepreneurs from all over the world. Along the way, I've picked up hundreds of tips, tricks, and secrets, which I'm eager to share with my listeners. Helping others move their ideas forward has become my life's passion. So if you've been told that will never work as much as I have, you've come to the right place. Together, we'll prove the naysayers wrong. Prepare to meet the architect. Despite this mysterious moniker, Chris Waters may be one of the most genuine people I've met. I mean, how often does a podcast guest send handwritten thank you notes to the entire production team? Equally notable is Chris's one-of-a-kind business, designing highly elaborate scavenger hunt experiences for people and corporations alike. He is so successful that he's essentially homeless, traveling around the world to scout and execute these happenings. And that's just the problem. How can he scale without sacrificing the quality and originality of what he does and actually be able to put down some roots somewhere? There's got to be a way, right? Well, tune in. Hey, Chris, welcome to That Will Never Work. I am so excited to meet you. I was uh, intrigued when I heard your voicemail because you seem to have a business which I thought I'd heard them all, but this was a new one to me. And so I think the best way to start actually would be for you to take a few minutes and explain uh, what you're up to and then maybe gracefully lead your way into what it is you might want to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Chris Waters. I go by The Architect, which is kind of a pen name, if you will. I'm an experienced designer who specializes in seemingly serendipitous, perfect days and wild adventures. For the people that are listening that still have no idea what I'm talking about, an easy fallback for me is I build very elaborate treasure scavenger hunts, oftentimes for marriage proposals, decade birthdays, sometimes corporations that want to make a big splash or companies that want to do a team builder. Each one of them is special to me. They're completely bespoke. I travel all over the world and it's an absolute blast. So Chris, how long does it take for you to do one of these? Let's say the National Bank of Kazakhstan is doing a corporate event. So you fly to a city you've never been to before. How long does this take? If I really need to, I could knock one out in a week. If it was an emergency, (laughs) a huge thing. 
because I've gotten very good at it without sounding too cocky. But most of the time, what'll happen is someone will reach out months in advance. Most of the time, it's four to six months, and we start the process, which involves surveys about the person or city or group, if there's a group, lots of phone calls, and then pre-research. Then I fly out, usually a week, one to two weeks in advance. I scout everything. I'm on the ground meeting the business owners of the places they're being sent to, meeting the actors that are going to be involved the day of. And then the day of the actual adventure, I lowjack them. I put a little GPS tracker on them to make sure that if they get intercepted at the grocery store with a wax-sealed envelope and they need to be proposed to where there's a photographer waiting at a reserved area on cliffs overlooking a beach at 5.45 p.m., <laughs> then they're pacing to make sure that they get there. So flash mobs. Lame or cool? I actually just had a conversation about flash mobs. We were talking about whether this is something that will never work and how much I hear that. <laughs> One of the biggest news articles about me before this was I tried to do a flash mob in college and it just failed spectacularly. Like nobody showed up. Nobody did anything. <laughs> and it was so embarrassing. And I think you're actually the first person that I've ever told that to. So now it's public knowledge. <laughs> well, I'm flattered. Pre-COVID, we were in Las Vegas. We were hanging out at a pool and... All of a sudden, it became evident that some high roller was going to be given some special flash mob birthday thing. But it was fast, it was incredible. People were rehearsing. There was dancers. There was actors. It was quite an elaborate thing. And so basically, as you're describing this, I can imagine that your stuff goes way beyond what involved with just putting together one thing like that. Yeah, it's a lot of work to set it up. And then it's kind of like... Uh white knuckling a really well-built ship through a hurricane because you just you don't know what's going to happen two hours into this weather and alcohol and all sorts of things can completely torpedo a certain segment and so you have to be able to fix it so i imagine by now you've seen so many things going wrong that a fair amount of your design goes into what are the workarounds okay if this yes. happens what's my backup if this happens what's my backup yeah. There's always a plan B and a plan C. And with all of the consultation and the work I do to help people do this at an amateur level, that's the big thing is trying to let them know that there's a chance that this could happen when you try this and be ready for this. And an example I like to use is poker for poker players. You know, when you start playing, you play every hand and you're like, oh, I had king six and I won. But eventually you have king six and you run into ace king. And it just goes very terribly wrong. So most of the time, it'll be fine, but you want to be ready for when things go wrong. That's just event planning in general. And what's the basic price range of these things? I charge a flat rate, which just depends entirely on how far out I'm booked, just supply and demand. And then it's just the adventure budget on top. It's very different from what a lot of event planners do because I like to have an honest, genuine conversation about money. A lot of the people that I work with are normal people. They're not big companies that just have a $50,000 budget to do fun things, right? It's a guy proposing to his girlfriend, and I like to be very upfront. But the average cost, it starts at about five to $6,000, and the highest I've done is $400,000, $500,000. Holy mackerel. You have to tell yeah. me briefly, what was that about? It was a massive corporation. It was a pharmaceutical company doing their kind of end-of-week training. And so it was this huge, immersive treasure hunt around the entire resort complex that they had booked out for the week of training. And so it was just a bunch of actors and a bunch of materials and a bunch of things, and they were put into teams. And a lot of it just went to hiring a ton of people because I just needed a lot of people that day to run things. Most of them aren't that high. Most of them, six to 10 grand is about the sweet spot. So I'm sure that COVID took a little bit of wind out of your sails. 
But before that, how booked were you? I was booked out. It's interesting. Even right now, I have a booking a year out, literally June 2022. But then I also have one spot available late July this year. So most of the time, I'm booked out about seven months to a year in advance. Sometimes there's just little spacklings of, oh, I've got two weeks free here. If somebody reaches out, I can fly out to their area. But if not, it just works. You know, it doesn't work. Wow. And so what happened during COVID? Oh, COVID was brutal. I... I remember it vividly. I flew out. It was supposed to be a month and a half long tour with four adventures in Denver, Houston, New York City, and Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. And I flew out Thursday, March 12th. And in the air was when Harvard pulled out of the NCAA March Madness tournament. And I was like, oh, that's a smart school. They seem to know. And I was very aware of this. I was very concerned already. And I remember telling my mom, I hope that It either hits before, like everything goes down before I get to New York or after, because New York is New York. And that ended up being the case. But then my twin brother texted me when I was in the air. He's a designer for Disney. And he said, Disney just sent everybody home. Salesforce, Twitter, all the big companies on Thursday, March 12th, sent everybody home. I got to my hotel in Denver and I doom scrolled the coronavirus subreddit about all the things. And then I went to scout on Friday, which was a week before this proposal for this gentleman. And I went to the restaurants and they said, we're not going to be open in a week. This is happening. And so I met with the client who was pretty unaware at the time and had a pretty strong conversation of like, I can't do this. And I told him I would consult with him to do this proposal himself for free. And I booked a flight and I went home and then I offered all of my clients, you know, there's always a deposit with events and it's always non-refundable. And I was like, no, no, these are refundable. This is a global pandemic. And I hunkered down. I shifted. I did a lot of consultation, started a YouTube channel, Patreon, kind of the usual things. And thanks to that and the payment protection plan, I stuck through. I had three clients that stuck with me. One of them was the gentleman in Denver. And this Friday, I'm flying out to do a redo proposal for him and his now fiance, because she said (laughs) yes. But it was a, a wild, stressful time. But there was some silver linings. It allowed me to really connect with my community. There's a bigger world of this kind of experience design. Escape rooms is an easy part of that world. Some of these days are very puzzly. And so I was able to build my Constructed Adventures community and really help people that had kids at home and they were trying to work and keep the kids entertained or do things at home or in their local surroundings. And that became my big focus was just to teach others how to do this and make sure they could build a game that ran and worked. So what do you want to talk about today? Yes. I assume you've kind of solved, if solved is the right word, your uh, lack of business for the last 12 to 18 months, but now you're looking forward. Yes. I am very lucky that I'm good at my job. I've done 75 adventures and I've consulted for about as many. I am also lucky that I'm pretty much the only person that does exactly this. There's people that do similar things and definitely people that can do what I do. But my problem that I run into is I can only make money when my hands are physically on this thing, when I am there, when I'm running it, and I love it. I am traveling the world. I'm having a blast. But this is not sustainable. I cannot be traveling. I currently don't have a home. Everything's in storage because it just doesn't make sense for me to have a home. And I'd like to have a home, Mark. So my problem is trying to figure out a way to scale this community, scale this ability. Not something that I want to get funding or anything like that. I think I fall under that realm of a lot of people that they're not looking to 
go public. They're not looking to hire a huge team. I'm looking to be successful and I'm looking to build something that can run a little bit on its own and have some type of passive income with this ability. And I have a couple things I've been working on and wanted to get your advice. I'm working on maybe hiring an assistant, which is a scary thing for me. If you haven't discovered by now, I feel a little bit of an imposter on your show. I feel like listening to the previous episodes of the brilliant people that you've talked to that are working on getting their first Series A funding. And I'm here, this artist masquerading as a businessman, asking a very successful person just how to make something maybe not even possible. I'm not sure. It's a bit of a quandary, you know? Well, Chris, you've come to the right place, as they say. (laughs) I hear exactly what you're saying, and I think it makes a lot of sense. And just listening to you, I see a lot of directions you can go. You're in a similar situation as a lot of people who are constrained by being sole practitioners, which is that, well, if I want to make more, I have to work more. And that's not what I want. I'm kind of hoping it goes the opposite direction. You know, there's the classic example of the locksmith who comes by and can do the job in five minutes. And you go, you're paying $100 for five minutes? No, you're paying for $100 for the five years it took to learn how to do it in five minutes. But even that person still has to go out and open the lock. So what I would start by asking you is what degree of what you do comes from the tactical work of setting it up versus the inspiration design elements of it. And I'll ask you the same exact question, but asking you to put it into buckets of which is the bigger contributor to your success. It's tricky with the contributing to my success. I think a lot of that has to do with things just being perfect. Even when things are just falling apart behind the scenes, I've gotten so good in the clutch. And it's always been my specialty is being good in the clutch, which can be a detriment because sometimes it causes procrastination. I think some people can relate to that. But to double check your question, you're asking how important is the setup? How important is the execution? Is that correct? That's exactly what I'm asking. I'm asking how much of your time goes into one versus the other. And then I'm going how much of your reputational success comes from one being great versus the other being great. It's a pretty close 50-50. And it's tricky because I've had times where I've tried to outsource scouting. I want someone to go check out these locations. And they give me these locations and I look at them and it's like, ah, it's not quite what I want. And now I'm just wasting their time and mine when I could just go because I know what I'm looking for. And sometimes I think it could be hard to relay that. I'm getting better at it, especially with consultations. But I think it's the execution that really does it. It's the time when something completely falls apart, but I've built enough things, you know, everything's calligraphied, everything is all set, but I have wax-sealed envelopes that have been pre-opened with blank things. So if I know they're going to get caught in traffic and if they're going to miss their lunch reservation, I send someone to take the lunch reservation and I send someone else to intercept them in traffic with a wax-sealed envelope that says, this is for you with their next clue to the next location. It's that kind of thing. And I've worked with other people that I haven't seen them do it yet. I haven't seen them be that adaptive during the adventures. And it's one of the things where I can justify a higher price point because there are those pieces in place that make it perfect. Well, Chris, as they say, the cemeteries are filled with indispensable men. (laughs) And I 
will tell you right now that the key to getting where you want to get is going to be trust, and it's going to be letting go. I knew you'd say this. Of course I did. That's why you're here, is to get this little smack back and forth and go, the things you know are in fact true. So listen, let's take it a different way. The great news is what you're doing is a fantastic business for you to scale in a way that you work less or work the same, but dramatically scale the reach of the business. I know it. I can just feel it. And I can feel it in a couple of ways. Before I give you the big reveal, I have one more question. Tell me a little bit about the consult business that you have. Uh, so what will happen is is people reach out. And I work with all sorts. Sometimes it's uh, businesses that want to do something. Sometimes it's book writers optioning a, a book for Netflix and they want to have a treasure hunt aspect going on in the back of it. Most of the time, it's individual humans trying to do something special where Six to $10,000, that's a lot for a day. Not lost on me that that is a lot for most people to spend on a day. But just paying me an hourly rate, getting a little bit of the keys to the kingdom. One thing about me is I'm very open with trade secrets. I don't, I don't have any trade secrets. I want people to do this. And people are going to hire me whether it's open or not. But the consult is essentially hourly calls or video chats, a bunch of shared docs where they tell me what they're trying to do. It starts with the same survey. And I work with them to say, okay, this is your first step. You need to lock down your anchor points. Where are you going to send them? Coffee shop, park, friend's house, zoo, et cetera, et cetera, restaurant. And then once that's locked down, how are we going to creatively propel them from one stop to another? Is it going to be a cipher that they decode on a statue, a plaque of a statue? Is there going to be an actor that comes up? Is it going to be a back room reserved or a bar where we put a card down and the bartender says, everything's been paid for, order whatever you want. And just coach them through how to do this and make sure that when the day comes, they're completely prepared for it. Okay, that's also great too. Let's go in two different directions because I think, like I said, I see a lot of different ways that this can go. The two directions are one is to begin productizing what you're doing. The second one is to begin scaling your specific business, your specific product. In other words, I'm going to call the product that you're doing right now is these bespoke, highly complex, high price events. And let's talk about that first. And you have this sense, if not necessarily in your head, but certainly in your action, that you're the only person who can do this. And that anybody else who tries it is going to screw it up in some horrific way, which is going to bring your entire business tumbling down. And of course, you know that's not the case. But the intelligent thing, the thing that you really should spend some time thinking about is start with the realization is I have to let some things go if I want this. It's self-evident that if you do want to scale the business without driving yourself crazy, you're going to have to learn how to let some things go. But that doesn't just mean I'm going to let things go. It means being really, really intelligent about how you do it. And I've given you the two clues of how to do it. The first one is to say, where am I spending the majority of my time? And the second one is to say, which of all the things that I do are the ones that fundamentally are making this super special? And you need to know that. And you're guessing 50-50, which means it really is 80-20. Yeah, you're totally right. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what you want. You're spending 80% of your time on things which are not 
the ones that are the critical elements to people raving about you and having these phenomenal experiences. And the first thing for you to do is to really begin looking intelligently as what you're doing to the point that when you start a job, you have this one little part of your brain, which is acting as a recorder and watching what Chris is doing over here and making the notes and goes, oh no, that was quintessential Chris. That was a genius insight. And you go, no, that's just pretty standard stuff. And I'm not challenging you. You may have picked wrong the first time. You have gone location scouting. That's an easy one for someone to do because it's so time consuming. But in fact, you might be totally wrong. You might go, no, gosh, what makes these special is me finding that little out of the way bar where you have to knock three times to get let in. It feels a speakeasy. Maybe that's the quintessential you. And that's fine. Then that becomes the thing you do. But it is, you're going to have to identify what are the ones that only Chris, only the architect can do. And then what's the stuff the draftsman can do? And as you know, by that's a perfect analogy. Now, if I must say so myself, I'm glad you thought of it. I mean, look at a building being built. You don't think I.M. Pei is sitting there designing the size of the heating ducts down in the third sub-basement, nor is he specking out the size of the conduit runs that go up, or is he saying even who the elevator manufacturer is? He's there with the sketch pad, thinking the big picture. You're the architect, architect these things. Figure out how to let someone else be the draftsman who put all the pieces together. Listen, the architect does go out to the job site and goes, no, 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 those windows are all wrong. But not very often because he hires great subcontractors who are really good at what they do. And you can find people who can make this stuff run brilliantly, not necessarily with genius insight, but it's okay because you've done a lot of that pre-work of figuring out some of these special places that other people can do. So I know you know that, and I'm just pressing you to say it's not just this Instagram quote tile that says, be prepared to surrender things. It's going, the key to it is doing it in a smart way. And what that takes is just, again, that little guy on your shoulder who's watching everything you're doing and really saying, where's the architect's magic here? And where is he spending time doing something else that I'd rather having him do it somewhere else? Now, the second piece to this is that delegation has to be done extremely carefully in terms of picking the right people. You mentioned you were thinking of bringing on an assistant, I think is the word you used. And that might be okay. But I wouldn't be looking for an assistant. I'd be looking for a partner. I'd be looking for someone who is the detail obsessive that matches your creative obsessive. You Listen, you're a double threat. You do both. But I, I think it's much easier for you to replace the detail obsessive than it will be for you to replace the creative genius. Yeah. And when you're looking for someone, you're looking for someone who can take on increasing responsibility because either explicitly or implicitly, that person, you're thinking about that person as eventually in 6, 12, 18 months being able to run one on their own. Not design them on their own, but run them on their own. Take them where they're doing the 80% of the lift. And picking the right person for that will be the key to freeing you up. As opposed to if you pick the wrong people and you pick people who need you to tell them what to do all the time, all it's going to do is cement in place your worldview. You're going to come back every night and go, geez, I was right. No one can do this like I can do it. Well, that's just because you picked crappy people and that's on you. Well, first of all, I'm not even talking about how much you pay them or don't pay them, but Part of it is recognizing what people look for in their life. 
to some degree, what you have is very envious, which is you have a chance to travel. Your job is different every single week. You're meeting really interesting people. You're helping. You're there at some of the most special times of people's lives. And you want someone who's going to buy into that and be doing it for that reason, as opposed to someone who's there for the paycheck. And I know you wouldn't pick that. I'm just saying that this is easy for me to say. It is hard for me to do, but you're clearly capable enough of doing both these things, which is making the decisions about what you begin little by little delegating responsibility to. But the other thing that someone who works for you is going to want, besides the travel, the novelty, the beat people, what people want is responsibility. That is the difference between a job and a passion. Is this feeling I'm in control? I'm doing some, oh, I'm solving problems. I'm figuring stuff out. God, that's the best feeling in the world. And if they're just following Chris's written playbook, yeah, you'll find someone to do that, but that's not what necessarily you, you want. But it might be. It has to match, it has to be a yin to your yang. This is not a rocket science business solution. There is no reason when I listen to, oh, I'm seven months backlogged, I have a year. I'm, he didn't say it. I could take on four times as many clients as I have. I turned down a lot of clients. Which is a wonderful problem to have. You just need to figure out how to scale yourself. And I'm not saying, you go out and find four more architects because at least right now, that's going to be really, really hard. But you certainly can begin to intelligently go, what are the parts of the jobs that I have to do? And what are the parts that I can have someone else do and give them some autonomy? You're going to face that thing where you go, they didn't do it the way I did it, but I was pretty good. Yeah. And that's going to be a tough one to swallow too for a control freak like you. Well, I'm okay. It's a mix of control freak, right? One of my mantras when I work with actors is they have complete autonomy to call a total audible. As long as the envelope gets handed off, right? As long as the chest gets handed off, they can do whatever they want, as long as they get spun. If it completely blows up and goes wrong and they come to me and said, listen, this was the goal I was going for. I thought this went wrong. Totally fine. I understand. But I do. I love giving people the ability because they do some crazy, amazing things that I would never think about. Let's talk for a second about the other direction that you could take them. And listen, you can and should take these both in the same direction, or you should consider it. I said productizing, which means that developing other products for the same audience with the same desire, because what you have done very, very successfully is captured people's imagination about this is a really cool thing. Everyone does a proposal. Now, I'm picking just one small part of your business. Everyone does a proposal. Everyone loves the occasional brilliantly clever proposal. You know, I'm like, Listen, I watched The Bachelorette last night. I know this is a big deal for people. <laughs> yeah. But that audience can be segmented further. A lot of people who don't have $5,000 to spend on this. So again, this comes back to the architect's brilliance and saying, what product could I build for them that's less than $5,000? You said these are all bespoke. Well, listen, the main architect's products are all bespoke, but we also have a line of non-bespoke ones. And you needn't have it be one that damages your brand. Your brand will shine at the high end. You talk about the brand. Everyone wants that. And if they could afford it and could book you and had the privilege to book you, fantastic. But Maybe you can develop products for this rest of your audience. And when it comes to scaling, believe me, the market for $500 proposal packages is probably a thousand times bigger than the one for $5,000 proposal packages. I have the slightest idea how to do that, but you might. 
And if you can crack that nut, it's not a business that I'd say go into on its own. I would not say walk away from your current one. Your current one drives the existing one. But it's a way for you to have all the effort and sweating and anxiety and pressure and travel that you do for the ones that show up on uh, Good Morning America because that then ripples out and uh, brink is being wasted. It's lapping upon a shore, which is getting you more $5,000 to $400,000 packages, but it could potentially be attracting a much, much, much broader thing around the brand of the architect. And it's this is an architect package. It's special. <laughs> that productization is big. And then there's the hybrid versions. And I don't want to distract myself by clicking over and looking up what it is. Whoever this person is, motivational speaker. Go online, change your life, spend an hour, two hours with this person. Oh my God, that corporate audience is transfixed. Oh, that's that'll be $200,000 for the uh, two hours, please. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> that's outside my budget. Yeah. However, there's eight other people who work with me who can deliver this content. Not me. I've trained them. You're going to get that same energy, the same message. The people are going to come away feeling empowered and inspired and entertained and educated. But it's not me. I can't scale myself. And this goes part and parcel with perhaps as you begin to train someone is that they don't do the same job you do. And when a client comes in, you go, my packages are now a $50,000 minimum. But listen, if you want the 5,000 packages, I've got a number of people that I work with and I recommend that you do a revenue share with them. But it's all under your umbrella. It's all under the same brand. These are all common things that take someone who's in a great situation where you've built this great brand, this great product. You've started out positioning it in exactly the right place. Another person who I spoke to when I was doing beta versions of the podcast, she was the opposite. She was doing all the low-end stuff. And I said, no, you should move yourself up into the high end, and then find someone else to take over the low end stuff. Okay, one more thing. And right now you're in this situation, you're going, I don't need to really do a lot of promotion because I'm so full and so busy. But you have huge opportunities for that because of how entertaining and viral, potentially viral, all this stuff is. But that reflects onto you, not just onto uh, the person who's trying to go viral for their own sake. Anyhow, I can think of a whole bunch of ways to leverage this enterprise, and I can see it being an enterprise. I really do. You are onto something. You've built a better mousetrap, and now you just need to learn how to scale the key product and consider ways that you can productize it. One last thing. As you've probably heard, if you listen to some of my other podcasts, once you get me started, you don't, can't shut me up easily. This is great. No, no, I'm just taking notes. It's wonderful. I don't know why I'm taking notes because I could just listen to this later, but you know. It's good. By the time you get a chance to listen to it, you'll have missed. You should be starting some of the stuff tomorrow. The other one is the ultimate productization is just selling knowledge. When you mentioned before that you did consultative work, I totally get it. And you should absolutely begin thinking about how you productize that better. It should be an explicit package here is how this works. Here is what you get. And if you want, you can have two or three different levels to it. If I was brainstorming it, you'd have one level, which is free, which is that, as I said, you already do it. But I'd be making it more productized free, which is you have a website, which is a build your own event website where you share your content freely. Yeah. And then he says, but this is a chance where you say, or you can move up and here is this non-bespoke package. Or there's this. Or 
you join this, and since these things take six months to plan, there's a six-month package. It's $800, including you shoot me a text, I shoot you back one. We'll get on the phone once every two weeks for an hour. In other words, you begin selling your knowledge, or even better, once you've trained someone, you say, myself or someone on my team will sit down with you and spend your time. But again, it's another great way to leverage it. The problem is the flaw that I see to your business is it's not a lot of repeat business. Yes and, and no. That's tricky. There's more you think. The proposal thing, no. We hope that <laughs> most people only propose once, right? Or 50% of them anyway. Yeah. There is something to be said about these things, especially the ones that have a lot more puzzles in them. The puzzles challenge that feels like an escape room throughout the city. One thing I find is the moment somebody does one for somebody, that receiver, the recipient of it, immediately wants to do it for somebody else. There's kind of a pass it on, a pay it forward aspect, especially with kids, but adults too. So I think there definitely is. There's a lot of people in the community that I've built that post one a month that they do for their husband or wife or kids. So there is that, maybe not quite at that scale, though. I think that's a good point. Well, the reason I brought it up is that it's the reason I didn't immediately leap into it being a subscription business because it's something that isn't appealed to someone over two or three years. But yeah. it is something that appeals to someone over six months, which means you do these packages could be in the four or five thousand dollar range, depending upon how much. If I don't know how to do that, I'll give you one more piece of advice and then I'll send you on your way to solve this puzzle of your own, which is. And you may, in fact, already do this. There is someone who does put on these kind of things all the time, which is event planners. Yes. Now, I don't mean event planners like you, but I mean the people who, when the soybean growers of America annual convention come into town, Oh, yeah. someone's doing all this mundane stuff and then the head of the soybean grower says be kind of fun to do a bonding exercise what do you got in mind yeah. yeah and if that person is incented to go oh you want the architect <laughs> that is something that having that relationship in place could be the source of something pretty big and i will say that if you have one built in las vegas Mm -hmm. doesn't need to be that bespoke because the people who yeah. are coming in are different every single week. All right, Chris, anything else that I can, uh, I've probably given you enough to think about here. Yeah, I have one very quick question um, sure. and it kind of goes with selling knowledge and selling time. You talked about purchasing a package versus doing an hourly rate. I had toyed around with a package and then I moved over to an hourly rate just because it could be a little bit more flexible for my time, especially if I'm still traveling. Do you have reasons where you're like, no, you should absolutely do a package that I just haven't thought about? What's the, the thought behind that? You may have misunderstood. When I said a package, I don't mean a package of hours. I don't mean, okay. oh, sell 10 hours at once. Although it's always a good idea because people usually misestimate how many hours they want. But what they want really is the security that you won't let me mess this up. And so 10 hours of Chris's time sounds like enough. But in fact, I probably just need three. That's one reason to sell 10 is because you're selling them this reassurance. I'll be there if you need me. But in fact, they probably won't need you that much. What I was suggesting is that you package you sell is 80-20. Only 20% of that package requires your time. I may have even used this exact example with a previous guest on the podcast, but 
Well, it was good then. It bears repeating. I was doing all kinds of irrigation work on my property. I love doing my own stuff like that. But it's pretty complicated in terms of pipe diameters and pressures and how to do the calculations of what size emitters you need at the end of long runs and blah, 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 all this stuff and how to account for slope. And I go, I can't figure this out. And there happened to be a website which had all kinds of great articles for free. And man, I just dug it. And then it said, and by the way, if you want, you can join the so-and-so club. And what you then get is access to these calculators. You get access to these more specialized tools, as well as drop me a note when you want, and I'll get back to you, the person who, uh, and I want, sign me up for that, and then bought that package. But what he was selling was not buy six hours of me on the phone. He was selling more information, of which 90% of it was just additional information for someone who really wanted that complexity. It was a freemium model, and which he That's threw great. in as a bonus. And of course, if you have a question, you have access to me now. You could have to construct something on your own, but that's what I meant by how to leverage yourself is if you just sell your time, you're limited by how much time you have. If you begin selling your information, that's almost infinitely scalable. I love that so much. Oh, this is great. Thank you so, so, so much. It's given me so much to think about as I head off to do this redo proposal and work to shift that life over and grow it. If nothing else, if the single most important thing you do gets done, it's purely starting to begin that process of thinking, what's my 80-20? That is the key to scale. What is the 20% I need to be the value creator for? What's the 80% I can begin figuring out the best way to begin moving that off to someone else? Because if you can get that right, you've just multiplied yourself by five. (laughs) Oh, man, that's so great. Oh, that's such a good, good point. Okay, Chris, one last request, which is I'm going to check on you. You know, you can't just shine me off here. We're going to get you back on for a brief call sometime in the next 12 months or so, because I want to hear what you learned, whether you were able to apply this, and uh, what progress, if any, you've made. But other than that, go surprise people. On that same note, I know you're a surfer, correct? You you surf? Yes, I am. Yeah. Sometime, if I'm ever in town, I might say, hey, I'll, I'll bring up my surfboard. We can catch up on the waves. I don't know if we can record it. Maybe we can. It'd be the <laughs> weirdest podcast ever, but it would be unique. Be a, a fun way to get together. But thank you so much. I really appreciate all of your insight. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks so much for joining me. Creative vision and attention to detail don't always come in the same package, but in the case of the architect, they do. So it's up to him to figure out which elements of what he does is part of the 80%, the stuff that he can eventually outsource, and which is the 20% that is Chris only. And while he figures that out, He has some work to do to create less custom and thus less expensive versions of his events. There is not a doubt in my mind that Chris is up to the task. And I'm pretty sure when we check in down the road, he'll have found a squad of draftsmen to help the architect design himself a whole new quality of life. Well, that's all for the day. And thanks to Chris for entrusting his business to me for a little while. I look forward to hearing back from him in a few months to see if my advice helped. In the meantime, if you want to be a guest on That Will Never Work, I've made it really easy. Just go to markrandolph.com forward slash guest, fill out the form, and leave a voice message right there on the site. While you're there, sign up to get my weekly entrepreneurial advice delivered right to your inbox. Or... 
Connect with me on Twitter at MBRandolph or on Instagram at ThatWillNeverWork or my newest attempt at denying my age on TikTok where I promise you won't ever find me dancing without a shirt on. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to smash that like button and leave me a review at Apple Podcasts. I'll see you next time. Audiation.